I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's the Wonky Show. UCAS deadline day has been and gone. And as we look back at 2022's numbers, we'll ask if the middle classes are getting a raw deal. Uh, There's new polling on cost of living, but will it cut through? The Lords are leaping over student loans and there's fresh shenanigans over international students. It's all coming up. Why is it that so so few are are accessing funds? Is it because it is an incredibly arduous bureaucratic task and you need institutional knowledge to even know they exist? Um, Because, you know, like, trust me, these are, like, hardship funds are widely advertised. Welcome to The Wonky Show, your weekly way into this week's higher education news, policy and analysis. I'm Wonky's associate editor Jim Dickinson and here to land the plane of HE policy onto the postage stamp of sense, as usual, three cracking guests. Uh, In Cheltenham, Claire Marchant is chief exec at UCAS. Claire, your highlight of the week, please. So yesterday I was on the phones to students. I took about 20 plus calls and I had a whole range of queries from references to uh, somebody actually ringing for their their daughter who is going to go in in 2026 so I am very well prepared Uh, that was brilliant I learned so much from being on the phones it was a real highlight brilliant stuff and in southeast London Amate Doku is consultant at Morehouse Consulting Amate your highlight of the week please Oh, my highlight of the week has to be um, the Lunar New Year celebrations that we had um, at work yesterday. Um, we had um, quite a few people who um, celebrate um, Lunar New Year with their family, sharing with us about their experiences, the food, the culture, and um, yeah, learned so much from it and had some, some great food. So definitely a highlight. And in Whitby, Sunday Blake is Associate Editor at Wonky. Sunday, your highlight of the week, please. Uh, my highlight of the week was, I've, um, so we've got an event coming up called The Secret Life of Students. Uh, in March and I spent Monday talking to my panellists and guests and speakers for the sessions that I run in um, and had some really interesting conversations and lots of confirmations of people who have agreed to come and speak with us um, and it's just getting me really excited for the event so yeah it was great. Good stuff. More on that later. So, yes, we start this week with UCAS deadline day. Wednesday was what is officially known as the equal consideration deadline. And earlier this month, we got the final data drop for the 2022 cycle. Uh, Sunday, what did we learn? Right. Yes. So this was UCAS's equal consideration uh, deadline. Um, And this was yesterday, I believe. Um, And as you said, it does follow the data drop for the 2022 cycle, um, which was provider level data that we got earlier this month. Um, now, within this data is evidence that several providers have been making uh, decisions to slow down recruitment after two bumper years linked to higher than expected A-levels. There was a little bit of what I would call pearl clutching around that with outlets such as The Telegraph reporting that it was impacting the most affluent teenagers from getting places uh, at Russell Groups and in particular Oxbridge. Um, so that is teenagers from sort of uh, independent fee-paying schools. 
um, due to uh, the teacher inflated grades of uh, state school kids, allegedly, I would say. Um, however, DK took a look at the data on the site and found that middle class children weren't actually specifically disadvantaged here. Um, so, for example, in 2022, 76.25% uh, of private school applicants ended up at their first choice compared to 77% of uh, further education college, college applicants. So a sort of really negligible difference. Um, but we are seeing evidence of the growing popularity of non-traditional qualifications for entering higher education, especially for uh, specialist providers. Um, so this is quite a long way from that sort of binary divide of vocational and academic that a lot of ministers claim uh, was addressed with changes to level three qualifications. Um, and this is really interesting, actually, because it intersects with some research that I was speaking to uh, Dr. Michelle Morgan about this week that she has done on prior educational experiences, uh, qualifications and expectations of applicants and the sort of disparity and diversity of them and the impact it has on their university experiences and how institutions should respond in terms of support. Um, in terms of sector-wide uh, trends, the interest in health-related subjects as the COVID-19 pandemic continues played out, um, but differently in different providers. Um, and I'm really keen to watch this area, particularly if there's the impact of industrial action taking place in the medical sectors as well. Um, but yes, DK's blogs on the on the site cover these uh, subject level trends in much more detail. Now, Claire, um, before we get to the kind of, you know, perhaps the... Uh, what I might call the social justice aspects of all of this. Where are all these stories in the Telegraph coming from about, you know, middle class uh, kids being kind of uh, screened out and not, you know, being being, being shut out of uh, higher education? Well, what's all that about? So I can see perception wise where, you know, where it's come from, because um, we've made, you know, as a sector, big strides in terms of widening access over recent years. Um, and we're expecting that to continue, actually, because we're giving... Uh, UCAS, we're giving more and more tools to enable providers to look at those uh, contextual uh, offer making effectively. So I can understand that. But as you say, I think Sunday pointed out, actually, the data doesn't say necessarily there is a sort of a squeeze middle middle class. I think the one thing I would say, though, if you step back from that, you know, telegraph sort of obsession with that, actually, are we entering a new period of more competition um, of a different sort of dynamic between provider and between students, absolutely. And almost the pandemic over the last two or three years has, has skewed that turn in terms of the market. So I think this is the first year, whilst it's not a return to normal, it's almost like a return to the new normal, which will then continue for the next five to seven years. So I think that, you know, there is something when we look at the progress made on wide participation to say, actually, how do we sustain that? That's more of my concern than necessarily... Um, the, the, the sort of squeeze middle which um, which the Telegraph has picked up on. Uh, Amitai, what stood out for you here? Um, I think it was um, really interesting to see the um, you know the evidence of the popularity of non-traditional qualifications for, for entering higher education. For me, that's one thing to, to watch. Um, you know, there's, there's I think, um, until sort of the policymakers themselves um, it, 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 sort of in a personal um, level are comfortable perhaps with their kids taking, you know, non-traditional um, routes, we, 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 we might um, have a bit of a, a way to go in terms of that parity of esteem between um, certain qualifications. But I think that's that's really interesting, really encouraging um, one to watch. And as Claire says, you know, that is part of the widening participation story. Um, and the more we can do to sort of diversify um, 
you know the, the intake in terms of qualifications, in terms of backgrounds. I think um, the easier it will be to 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 make sure that we are um, doing what we can in, in the wine and participation space. Now, Claire, obviously, uh, last year uh, the government stepped back from uh, aggressively pushing dramatic admissions reform, but that's not to say that that isn't any admissions reform knocking about. Absolutely. I mean, I think just picking up on what Amity said, um, re- really important that that parity point is brought forward as we enter this sort of new normal. Um, and obviously National Apprenticeship Week just coming up. So very, very, very timely to be talking about um, apprenticeships and, and that as a as a route, you know, um, alongside undergraduate. And and I, I truly believe that we need to do more right back in early secondary, late primary around this. You know, the fact that a third of students leave secondary and have had nothing on apprenticeships is, is shocking. We need to get much more parity. But you're absolutely right. Um, you know, reform to the undergraduate admission service is absolutely uh, paramount. We released a report just a couple of weeks ago, which, you know, I was I was pleasantly surprised. It went down really well. We've been talking to the sector since 2019 around what a student-centred sort of programme of reform looks like as an alternative to post-qualification reform. Um, and in there, obviously, the personal statement got a lot of uh, coverage. I also think things like grades on entry, where students can actually look and see what were the historical uh, grades for this specific course at this university um, that, 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 that students got in on, is, is a sort of game changer, really, in terms of transparency for students. So, so yeah, lots of reform coming on the sort of core undergraduate admissions as well. Sunday, uh, you, you know, from your point of view, d- does the demise of the personal statement matter do you know jim i haven't done much thinking of on on this to be honest and i actually think i think a bit a bit differently to other people because from what i've been reading around it there's been a lot of sort of well i mean you know incredibly like expert people have been saying that it favors uh middle class uh students um but i always thought that it gave widening participation students an opportunity particularly ones returning to education like mature students uh an opportunity to sort of demonstrate transferable skills or where skills can be like things that they've picked up on can be sort of like transferred onto their course or into like their academic application but um I think I'm alone in that to be honest I think every, everyone who's smart and clever says differently <laughs> <laughs> but I mean this is one of the challenges isn't it Claire so how, how do you get to you know I mean if there is going to be this kind of narrative contribution a bit like the TEF submissions this week if there is going to be a narrative contribution as well as a kind of metrics contribution the grades you get what what is it that you have to look for in order to sort of level playing fields here yeah I mean I think you know it's not the demise of the personal statement it's the first thing I'd say you know the the opportunity for you as a student being mature or a 17 18 year old to say this is why I want to do this course and this is what I can bring to it. Really, really important. The fact that we're looking to split it into a number of questions and, of course, those questions are are still up for debate to some degree because this is a a change we're proposing uh, uh, next year, not not this year. Um, I I think that's a really important sort of almost rite of passage for individuals to, to... We know, I speak to students week in, week out, that the process of writing a personal statement sometimes makes them change their mind because they go actually am I passionate enough about this can I write enough about this course and my my real passion for it Uh, and then they go actually I'll I'll, I'll change my mind so I think really really important in terms of retaining uh, that personal statement but the one thing I would say is there's a whole suite of other things that university admissions teams take into account so the introduction of seven new widening participation questions really critical for university admission teams alongside things like predicted grades and the academic or employment reference that that is there as well so 
I, I would say it's all about balancing all of those quantitative and qualitative sort of inputs that university admissions teams have got. And and and, and someday, you know, you, you know, one other thing about this. So, so th there's always a temptation when I don't know when the student finance system doesn't, you know, do all the things that we would like it to, or you know, when student debt levels look really high, or whatever or when there's a cost of living crisis, for people to assume that demand will be hit. But it just that, that's never how it turns out, is it? You know, demand remains remarkably high. Why is that? Well, there's loads of evidence to show that when, like, the economy is uncertain or in crisis, people return back to education. Like, that is, that's a trend that, that people, uh, like, have noticed. Um, there's, I, I mean... <laughs> You gotta look at it from like a student mindset, right? Like you could potentially not find a job and not be able to pay rent or whatever. But you've got say say you're a post say you've got a degree and you've you've got you've still got entitlement to your master's loan, right? You can you can get that ten grand, you've got a portion of the housing sector that's like siphoned off for you. Like, it's way easier to go into house shares. You've got an institution, something really stimulating to do for the year while, it, while you know, the economy all blows over, whatever. And you've got an institution that's going to give you access to free private mental health support, like, like a hot, hot spaces to sit in. Like, I'm not saying that people are frivolous, like, been going to university. I'm not saying that at all, that people are oh, just going to do a master's, whatever. But, like, if it's something you've been considering doing and then suddenly, you know, you've got a cost of living or whatever's happening or like, you know, the, the economy's not doing well, like, and you've been considering it anyway, like it, it's not, like it kind of makes sense, right? I, I also, I, do you know what? I actually also wanted to um, say something, uh, talk about what um, what Claire was saying earlier about um, personal statements. Um, because I, in, in a previous life, I actually used to work in an admissions office and read hundreds of these like a day. And um, one of the things with personal statements that frustrates me a little bit is that, no offence to Claire, <laughs> but like when people say, oh, you know, this thing's really, really important and you really have to show how passionate you are about, about this degree. Like we had a tally chart on the wall for every time someone claimed that they'd been fascinated by something since they're a child. Like, no, you haven't. No, you have not. You're not since you, ever since you can remember. Like, like these, these phrases that come up because there's a real sort of like, I have to show how passionate about this. This has to be this grand narrative in my journey, you know, like go whatever. But like, that's not, that's not the sort of conversation that's going on in government and at policy level. In, at that level, people are going, right, we need skills for jobs. You know, it's a real sort of clinical approach to it. So it's kind of like it makes sense in a way that we would be moving away from that kind of personal, passionate, <laughs> like uh, romantic personal statement of fulfilling your kind of like educational dream and moving towards a sort of more metric based system i mean like a lot of a lot of these students will have been brought up only ever knowing a, a high fee system comparatively to, to previous generations um not to other countries um and like being told that you know you need to justify this with with high graduate outcomes and those high graduate outcomes are determined by how much you earn so it kind of like, of course, we're taking the passion out of this. Of course, we're taking 
things out of this because it, you know we've become a more kind of clinical system. Um, I could go on and on, but I'm- and, and, and 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 just related to that, Claire, you must have you must have been uh, considering the chat GPT issue, even with individual questions. How are you going to get around that? Yeah, I mean the whole use of artificial intelligence. You know, whether it's in a personal statement or a, an essay or you know, even in a curriculum vitae or something like that. I, I think there is, you know, there is potential there. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm pretty confident. We've got lots of fraud and verification checks that we do. We do a lot of sampling. Um, so in terms of use of AI and personal statement, I'm confident that we, we can't guarantee anything ever, but, you you know, we do a lot of uh, checks on that. So I, I, I would like to return to the whole demand issue, though, because I do think... Um, whilst the relationship between mature students and them applying to university, pretty typically if we're in a recession, that sort of goes up and people go to higher education. I do think it's a bit different this time. I think the fact that there are, um, you know, jobs out there that people can get into, we might just see something different in the mature space this year in terms of that demand. And I particularly think if you if you remember, mature demand is very often driven by nursing numbers and applications to nursing. And of course, the NHS is in a very difficult place at the moment. So um, I, I do think there's something just about um, how demand in the long term, in the medium long term, is going to go up, both through international demand, 18-year-old demand, uh, driving that. But I think, you know, although the trend is increasing year on year, actually any individual year or any one point in time, we might see some interesting things about individual cohorts. And nursing would be one of those that, you know, as I as I pass the January deadline, I'm looking at what are those nursing numbers uh, going to look like. Fascinating stuff. Now, let's see who's been blogging for us this week. Hi, I'm Eliza Cosman. I'm Deputy Director of Research at TESO which is the Centre for Transforming Access and Student Outcomes in Higher Education. This week on Wonky, I've been blogging about theories of change and evaluation. Uh, so the proposed new format for access and participation plans includes a template which is based on a theory of change model which we've developed at TESO. And we think this is a great and simple way of communicating a high-level snapshot of how access and participation activities might be expected to help close equality gaps. And that's perfect for audiences who don't like an evaluation. But we think there's also space for more complex theories of change which provide more detail. So we've developed a new tool to sit alongside our core template for exactly this purpose. Fundamentally, we're a diverse sector and we need different tools for different audiences to help build buy-in to evaluation both within and across institutions. Now, next up, the Sutton Trust has released polling on the impact of the cost of living on students. Claire, what did it tell us? Yeah, we had some, some great work with the Sutton Trust and we at UCAS have done some work with the Sutton Trust uh, previously. So great organisation to work with. Um, I think the great thing about this is it's so recent. So this is January uh, data, over a thousand students, all undergraduate students uh, that the Sutton Trust have, have polled here. Um, and also um, really interesting in terms of the, some of the headlines we might expect. So the fact that students are looking at part time work. Uh, they're also just thinking about fin- finalising their degrees, completing their degrees. And so you sort of then raise the question, are we going to see um, something different in terms of continuation rates? I mean, the bits that really um, stood out for me, um, so, so it's three bits and then we'll go perhaps into the discussion. Um, but the first is this whole idea of 
and we see this at UCAS about whether you're going to to live on campus or you're not going to live on campus are you going to live with family uh, and particularly if you're one of those more disadvantaged students um, is it going to uh, make you more likely to live with family and around 10% moving back to live with their families and that for me raises real questions about the experience of university not just about going but what is the experience is it morphing into something very different at least for certain cohorts of students um, I think also then just you know real tactical things like the receipt of energy support uh, in private accommodation is that getting to the people uh, that need it most um, and then finally one of the things that stood out was around this over 10 percent 11 percent of of students that had received support for uh, in terms of hardship funding we we know I speak to universities week in week out they are having to ramp up all of their hardship support for for students both undergraduate and postgraduate but this was a really really uh, great report uh, UCAS have also done uh, a load of work on cost of living I mean I think our headline is that actually we're seeing uh, similar to pandemic you know over 80 percent of students still determined to go to university once they have have had that initial thought that I am going to apply to university so that's um, super encouraging um, however they are absolutely considering uh, what they spend pre-going to university and what that experience is going to look like once they're there and, and part-time employment um, really comes out in terms of that accommodation cost things like that um, and even to the point of might it change what subject they choose because they are so much more focused on employability uh, than perhaps previously so a really welcome piece of work by the Sutton Trust um, and looking forward to working with them again because we're doing some work on apprenticeships with them at the moment. Um, but but very worrying some of the stats coming out, particularly for for those um, from more disadvantaged backgrounds. Amitai, one of the things that kind of worried me about the um, you know the, both the press release and the sort of write up is that you know there really are some interesting figures in there, but that they were sort of mixed amongst what I would call never did me any arm stuff. So. You know, there's bits in there, for example, that say that students are reducing their expenditure on food. Well, who isn't reducing their expenditure on food at the moment? There are bits in there that say students are doing extra part-time work. But that I've just got a feeling that's not going to cut through with the with the public. Where you know, what 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 are the sort of messages? What are the sort of findings that you think might cut through here, other than? Um, you know the, this this kind of sense we've got that yes students have got it bad but everyone's got it bad yes i mean it's 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 a it's a pretty bleak picture for for students um from looking at the, the you know the, the findings from the, this report it's a pretty pretty bleak picture for lots of people as well and i and i think um uh, you know um, perhaps one of the um if if there can be more positive elements of this you know is um, really bringing to the fore that you know that the, the public's perceptions of what students, um, who students are, and what they do, um, is, is at the moment kind of warped in this whole kind of cultural sort of conversation. Um, you know, student snowflakes and all the rest of it. I just hope that this um, really highlights, um, you know, the fact that students are um, affected by all the things that everybody else is affected by um, and in some cases even more acutely I mean as Claire highlighted the, the, the real issue and real concern for me is how you know that you know 33% of students from working class families have, have, say they've skipped meals in order to save on food costs but how how you know how is that a, a university experience that um, we can 
we can be proud of because that's going to have an immediate knock-on effect on, on the student experience and that's going to be stuff that the university is going to have to to, to pick up so um in terms of what's going to cut through i don't know because i don't know how it's going to be picked up i don't think it's a sort of convenient angle it's not it doesn't you know you can't sort of say they should you know not use their netflix or stuff like that you know i, I don't think that's going to sort of cut cut through with with the public but you know, it'd be interesting to see where this is placed and the, the, the kind of framing. I think the reality is students are, are having it tough. Um, but you know, it's deeply unfortunate that it's happening at a time when really they should be able to be focused on their uh, degrees. They should be able to focus on having a great time at a university, and that's sort of being wrong. Sunday in, in in the press release, Peter Lample I think uses the words staggering about the number of students, the percentage of students that are now considering dropping out, but. There's a problem there, isn't there? Because, you know, isn't it pretty unlikely that they will drop out? More likely they'll just have a miserable time. Uh, Yeah, okay. (laughs) So how students are feeling is really important to their attainment and retention, particularly their attainment. Like, uh, you know, we can talk about like the belonging research. We can talk about the work uh, that I mentioned earlier that Michelle Morgan's done on graduate, oh, sorry, on applicant expectations. Like how you're feeling impact like your mental health impacts uh your attainment um and yeah i think that is a staggering number of students think feeling that they they should number uh, they should um drop out and and i think you're right to be looking at the stats in this because when you were say when you were saying just now about um you know the headline sort of the the headlines around you know cutting meals and uh not putting the heating on and stuff and everyone's doing that like yeah Everyone is doing that. But sometimes, <laughs> and I get a bit annoyed about this, sometimes I feel like when there's an issue that impacts all of society, universities or the sector goes, oh, well, it impacts everyone, so we can't do anything about it. And it's like, well, why can't we focus on what, what is impacting students and the elements of that that we can control? Like 11% of students said that they had uh, received support such as hardship funding right but like that's a really small figure compared to the other figures that were coming out around how many people were like not um actually need it (laughs) not were not doing well right and i'm like okay so why is it that so many so few are are accessing funds is it because it is an incredibly arduous bureaucratic task and you need institutional knowledge to even know they exist um because you know like trust me these on like hardship funds aren't widely advertised like they're not and disengaged students or like non-traditional students or ones balancing childcare or multiple part-time jobs like they're not gonna have the time to find out about it so like what are we doing about it like you've got to be imaginative about this and be like yeah this is impacting everyone but what can we do to help and Jim you did that 101 ways to help students through the cost of living crisis which I know actually for a fact because I've spoken to them is being used in like university student experience teams right like that is something like you like you can't just be complacent about this and be like well this is happening to everyone and like we need to focus on what is impacting students specifically because in the report there were unique things impacting students that aren't happening to everyone else for example the missing 400 pound support scheme payment that i have benefited from that lots of my working friends have benefited from but that 40 percent of students haven't seen like, what is being done to address this? Where is the regulation? Are the government setting it, stepping in? Are universities stepping in? Like, there are some bad faith actors here 
like taken advantage of students and impacted them in ways that the rest of society isn't being impacted. And I saw universities UK right against open-ended rolling housing uh, contracts that Michael Gove wants to bring in this week. And I was like, are you for real? Like, this is the moment you choose to step in on student housing. Like, not saying that's not a conversation to have, but where have you been for years while the crisis of student housing... Like, students getting absolutely bored by their landlords, particularly international students, has been all around us. Like, where have you been? Because I didn't see any open letters then. Do you see what I mean? And it's like, I get that the cost of living is this big issue. I get that. But, like, it is so complacent and infuriating to just be like, oh, well, it's happening to everyone. You know, I I can't go on holiday this year or something like that. Like, okay... Like, talk to your students, listen to them, like, learn about their actual lived experience and and and, th- and ask yourself, what is it that we can do? Because if you're any any less than that, then, then yeah, you're being complacent. Claire, Sorry. let me ask you, let, Claire, <laughs> let, let me ask you this question. So, um, I think it was last week, Robert Halfon said, look, you know, we have to be, we have to be fair to students, but we, all, we also have to be fair to the taxpayer. There's a wider economic problem. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago when Keir Starmer wouldn't be drawn on um, tuition fees, he said something like, look, we can't fix every problem that there has been in the economy over the past 12 years in the the first term of a Labour government. So I guess the question is, to what extent are we clear that there is a, a set of students that are being treated unacceptably rather than just well, everyone is having it tough and we're going to have to prioritise those that are having the toughest. You know, are, are, are we close to understanding uh, what, what an unacceptable student experience is? I mean, I, I, I think we need to get better, and I'm talking broadly as a sector here, in telling very human stories. Because I think perception of the public in terms of the student community will be driven part, partly by data... Um, but partly by insights in terms of human stories. So if I think about individual cohorts that we've done work with over the, the last couple of years, you know, those that are carers, they're mature students and they've got caring responsibilities. Those students that are coming out of being in care experience or estranged from their parents, you know, these individual cohorts will be really at the acute end in terms of the cost of living crisis impacting because they haven't got potentially, uh, you know, parents to go back to uh, or they actually have these caring responsibilities in addition to studying. And I think, and there are other cohorts as well. That's not an exhaustive list. Uh, But I think telling the stories about these cohorts of students is really important because that's what people listen to. It's human nature. I want to hear a story about another human being. Yes, I'll listen to data, but what makes these students different from perhaps somebody who is a young working professional is because they're trying to juggle a number of different things here. So I, I, I think we need to get better at that. Um, and I think that will come down to, you know, accommodation costs, the lack of parental support, um, the fact that people are doing much, much part time work. And so if you are, 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 you know, a carer, it's unlikely you're getting a really rich university experience, making as much use of the library or the sports facilities as somebody who hasn't got caring responsibility. So I think we as a sector need to get much better at that storytelling. But Amate, that is really tricky, isn't it? Because if you're a university, you know, you've got some targets from whichever part of the UK you're in. There's, you know, there's definitely some targets knocking around somewhere, particularly in England, over the recruitment of disadvantaged students. Presumably the last thing you want to do is be talking out loud about just how, you know, how how much your students are struggling. But on the other hand, if you recruit a whole bunch of, you know, disadvantaged students and you haven't got a lot of money knocking around, 
then you know on your consciences you're kind of trapping people into three years of really struggling yes i mean it's uh, <laughs> it's um as i say it's, it's a bit it's a bit of a um a bit of a catch-22 um i mean i guess having said that it sort of ties into you know what you know um, perhaps others in the school will have a better insight into but the decision about going to university is multifaceted and i think students their young people are pretty alive to the challenges um anyway so um you know universities being clear both in terms of how students are struggling in order to get support um to support students i think is is fine and i, and I don't think we should sort of shy away from that and i agree highlighting those stories um by universities is important but you know i don't think it'll be the first time that students um, or prospective students who will have will have come across that i think you know social media is there people talk to to people that they know who, who may have been to university or know others who've been to university as well and and you know in general things are quite challenging um but you know there's a, broad, there's a broader issue here i think you know where where do, do the responsibilities lie um some universities are able to to, to fit the bill to support students others are don't have that um, headroom um, and also inflation is affecting them as well and, and you know having, they're having to make difficult choices there so it is a really it's a really really difficult um, situation but making sure um, as has been highlighted that you're really focusing on student stories experiences you're trying to alleviate any of those issues or challenges or pain points that they might be experiencing at the, at the moment I think will go a real long way to support them <laughs> Hi, it's Jim from the team here with news of the secret life of students. Back for its fourth year, we're going to take the opportunity to get real about students, bringing together sector leaders and managers, as well as student leaders and student union managers, to get an accurate and unvarnished picture of the student condition in 2023, so we can work out how to respond rather than just react. Shifting from a surface-level understanding of student satisfaction with services to a deeper understanding of their motivations, ambitions and lives can be hugely rewarding and important both for them and those supporting them. It's also vital in an age that seems quick to assume, judge and condemn students rather than listen, understand and act on their concerns. So at the event, we'll be asking questions like, what are students doing when they're not in the classroom? Where is the line between their desire to collaborate and regulations that ban collusion? Is it true they're not prepared to debate and discuss controversial issues? Why do they rate assessment and feedback so badly on the NSS? And how many are confident about being real students, let alone what comes next? On the day, we'll feature key findings into the student experience from the past year. We'll launch exciting new research into the student learning experience beyond the classroom. And we'll launch our new Student Insights platform, Belong, a wonky group GTI initiative. And we'll share the first findings from its research. It's an essential event for anyone working on policy and delivery for students. That's the secret life of students. London, March the 14th. We'd love to see you there. Go to wonky.com forward slash events and book now. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, as you may know, a whole raft of changes are being made to student loans terms uh, this year in, in England, to some extent around the rest of the UK. Uh, and peers are unhappy about it, Amatek. Yeah, that's right. The House of Lords uh, is... Um Continuing its, its, its long-running uh, challenge to the government um, on our education policy, as it, as it often does. Um, but yeah, this is about the government's planned reform to the student loan repayments um, from 2023 onwards. Um, and, and essentially, um, the uh, Law's Secondary Legislation Scrutiny Committee has, has come back and said, you know, in the the ways in which um, lowering the repayment threshold, reducing the interest rates, um, extending the repayment period, um, you know, all these things are going to disproportionately benefit one-off graduates. Um, and there's, there's also been some challenges there around, you know, the, the long sort of controversial and, and challenged issue of using um, RPI as, as a measure um of inflation, which which has been seen as as flawed, so you know we've got this sort of um, <laughs> this sort of ding dong, as it were, on on these issues between the Lords and the government. Um, you know, highly likely that on, on a lot of this stuff, or most of this stuff, the government's gonna gonna get its way. But I think um, it, it really highlights um, and and um, hopefully it's just a moment again which we've been having a lot of these, but another opportunity to reflect on on the whole system because we can sort of talk about the technicalities of, of, of what the laws are saying and, and the kind of political tactics there, but it doesn't really change the fundamentals, which is that the system doesn't really work. Um, it's sort of not really worked for a really long time and, and it's sort of the slow squeeze um, both on students and on the sector um, in terms of increasing, um, you know, debt for students and... Um, um, and uh, you know the uh, lowering the um, income for, for universities as well. So it's a, it's a really challenging time. But hopefully, um, as we saw, Andy um, Westwood in, in, in Monkey has sort of put down his thoughts on what needs to happen, particularly from a Labour Party point of view. But I really think there needs to be um, a much you know more um, coherent narrative around you know what is it that we actually want. How is it that we actually want our universities to be funded and, you know, really present a, a clear, compelling, perhaps ask to government on this? Sunday, I mean, this is a jolly good, uh, you know, it's, it's fun, it, it, it kind of technical row between a Lords Committee and, and ministers. But, but you know, out in uh, the kind of political world in terms of public debate one of the one of the points i think they make that's really interesting is there just hasn't been any public debate about these really quite significant dramatic changes and i'm i was in a university the other day talking to a student union and they'd wandered off to see their mp last week and they were talking about you know the income uh, the family income threshold that hasn't changed for since you know 2008 and therefore far fewer students are getting the full maintenance load and their mp was jaw on the floor 
shocked, saying, how didn't I know about this? And, and, and we have this really weird problem, don't we, where you know there's loads of people who don't know about the system and loads of people who get the system wrong how do we get how do we get somewhere else where we can have a debate about this that is kind of vaguely informed and understands the impacts i mean i think that's a really a really interesting uh question um because i think you're right like we we don't necessarily have um like when when we're talking about fees and funding, we're often talking at lots of different cross purposes. And like you said, this is a very technical, like structural reform, right? That like not everyone is necessarily going to understand. I mean, even the process of that kind of secondary legislation scrutiny committee, like even that is something that people aren't necessarily familiar with. And it was funny because I was actually reading about this committee. Um, and all the various, I think it was in one of DK's pieces where he he did a very helpful explainer. Um, and it was quite funny because I was thinking it, it's so, the, it's so like parliamentarily, is that the word, um, that it was almost like inaccessible. And I was thinking like, oh, thank God we've got DK on the site to like break these things down for us. But um, I think when it comes to fees and funding, we do have these very kind of like blunt, sloganistic approaches to them so for example you know one of the things that i struggled a lot with uh, as a student union officer uh, during covid um and i know you've written a lot about this jim it, but it was that sort of like students didn't get the experience they wanted during covid therefore that they should get a refund and i was often talking to students and saying the thing is is you haven't paid any money yet <laughs> like that juicy what i mean so that it, it you know give like if 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 universities were to give you a refund like that money might need to come from somewhere and like you know you're sort of talking to them and you're saying well you know this could end up with institutions just giving a massive pay pack back to the treasury right like if if universities hold their hands up and say well, we haven't delivered on this therefore take the fees back and goes back to the government that then leaves the institution in a worse financial position than it is. And then obviously you had during the during the pandemic, you would have like um, organisations like the NUS would do sort of like events online uh, where they would say, you know, education should be free. But in that conversation, it was like, OK, but someone has to pay for it. Right. The money has to come from somewhere. And the level of nuance necessary wasn't necessary there because I don't think that we are used to having that kind of level of like nuanced conversation in public. Like, you know, we only we've only learned too well this year how much universities have to spend on like energy bills, for example, or how much they have to spend on pensions and how much they need to raise staff wages each year for a livable wage. Like, like the money has to come from somewhere and where it comes from is is a conversation that I just don't think we necessarily push past the ideological kind of um, arenas that, that, that we're, we're sort of um, speaking within. And, you know, I'm not just saying this in terms of like education should be free. I'm saying it in terms of, um, you know, the right on the way on the other side where people say like, well, actually, people should be paying for something that they gain from. Well, OK, I gain from my doctor having a degree. Should I pay for my doctor's degree? Well, OK, well, then it should be free because it comes from. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, do you, we just go around in circles. And um, I think when it when things like this happen, we miss such an important opportunity to really push this into the public realm.
and have these conversations and get people you know, into the nitty gritty of it so we don't just end up having 30 years of ideological conversations that go around in circles about who should pay. We actually end up... Uh, we're like, the only people who really know what's going on, the people who design the actual policy. Yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff. Claire, can I... Can I just if you zoom out a, li- a little bit, there's, there's something interesting, I think, about potentially... Because mo- most of the discussion is always about undergraduates and undergraduate debt and undergraduate repayment. Are there... Is there any evidence that th- that this, you know, what happens in the repayment system impacts postgraduate demand? Um, I mean, we have less insights in terms of postgraduate demand that you'd expect because a core of us is doing that undergraduate admission service. I mean, I think if you if you take some of the perceptions about whether I go or, or, or not for an undergraduate, they would apply equally to the postgraduate world. So we know, you know, year in, year out, when we survey uh, would-be undergraduates, and you could apply this to postgraduate equally, actually tuition fees uh, doesn't come in the top three in terms of the considerations about uh, money and finances. So accommodation, living costs, course costs all come above consistently uh, tuition fees and the repayment of tuition fees. So I just I just, I just don't think it's, it, it's on radar because it seems so long away. I mean, if you're going to pay back in your late 20s when you're 17, 18, that feels like a, a complete lifetime away. Um, and I think then historically, if you compare that to things like um, on the undergraduate side, uh, the application rate, which has been going up consistently year after year. So you've got places like London where it's well over 50 percent. But even last year across the UK, it was 44 percent. Um, you know, that's that's really significant. I, I do think there's an issue here, though, in terms of a public debate about tuition fees in that half the country probably aren't, you know, they're not so interested in it. <laughs> Um, and they sort of see it as a as a conversation for the other half. Now, of course, it affects everybody because it's the public purse. But I do think we need to make it not binary, but but more straightforward a conversation rather than a technical conversation for the general public. If we're going to get the fifty percent that don't go to university actually interested in the conversation at all. So that's about it for this week. Remember to dig a bit deeper into anything we've discussed today. You'll find the links in the show notes on wonky.com. Don't forget, you can get the latest show automatically when it's out. Just search for The Wonky Show wherever you get your podcasts. And to find out how we can keep you and your organisation ahead of everything going on in UKHE, do head to the website to find out more about our subscriptions. So thanks very much to Claire, Amate, Sunday and our news editor Michael Salmon who makes the show happen behind the scenes. We'll be back next week. See you then. (laughs) 